So um, we are going to be continuing our series, exploring some of the things that we value as a church family. Uh, and this week we're going to explore a phrase coined uh, by John Wimber. By the way, before I go any further on this, so um, like a lot of the talks that, I'm, that we're doing in this series, they kind of align with the book, the white book that we have on the table at the back, um, which is Vineyard Values. So those are the kind of things that we're talking about, um, things that we value, things that kind of are distinctive about us as a church family and as a movement within the vineyard. So if you haven't got one of those books, please take one for free. Um, they're a fairly easy read. Um, and they're kind of bite-sized chunks. You can just take a chapter and, and read a, a chapter. You don't have to read the whole book at a time or anything like that. So that's our gift to you, and we'd love to give you one of those. Anyway, John Wimber, who was a first leader of the Vineyard Movement um, uh, and played a really instrumental role in releasing and equipping followers of Jesus right across the world and uh, right across denominational lines as, as well uh, to step into their calling and be carriers of God's kingdom. And, and he coined a, a phrase, um, and, and it was this, everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. In fact, he coined lots of phrases. He's well known for his one-liners. Um, but this, this one is everyone gets to play, and it's a value for us as a church family. The mission of Jesus is not just for those who stand at the front or perhaps those who are sent as missionaries or called to some sort of full-time Christian ministry or anything like that. It's for all of us. Everyone gets to play. And in the vineyard today, we're, we're just so passionate about this. It's one of our distinctives, as I said. It shapes how we do a lot of things. It influences why we don't do some other things as well. And hopefully I'll explain what I mean by some of that a little bit later on. But what I want to start uh, with doing today is showing you um, an old um, Wimber clip from the 1980s. Some of you have seen this before. Um, but if you haven't, then... Um, prepare to be blown away by all of the 1980s hairstyles, which I just think are, are class. Here we go. As I read the New Testament, I fell in love with Jesus. Didn't you? I liked him. I liked what he was like. I liked the things he did. I liked the things he said. Didn't you like those things? I thought that stuff was hot. I liked it when he multiplied the bread. Do you like that one? Huh? How about it? Do you like that one? And the fishes, you know, the sardines. I always picture sardines. I like that stuff. I like all that stuff, you know? I liked it when he went by the fig tree and said, mm, you know? <laughs> and it died. Can you picture him doing that? I like all that stuff. I like it. I remember last night, come forth. That's a biggie, you know? I mean, that's hot. There are not many guys doing that come forth thing. You know, telling anybody to come up from the dead. I liked all that stuff. And when I became a Christian, I thought that's what I was going to do. I spent several weeks reading the New Testament and talking with these people. And I thought, this is great. You know, I'm going to join up. I want to do this stuff. And so I remember the frustration of attending church the first few times. You know what I thought they did at church? Now, this is how stupid I was. I thought you, that people gathered at the church, had a good time together, sort of divvied up the land, and everybody went out and healed a few, and cast out a few demons, and won a few people to Christ before lunch. And so the first few times I went to church, I went prepared with the idea that we're going to, you know, ha, I'm going to take Anaheim. I want to go to Anaheim, you know, the deepest, darkest pagan Anaheim over there by Disneyland. That's where I want to go because that's where I was raised. 
And when they didn't do it, I was disappointed. And I remember one day asking a guy about it. I said, well, when do we go out and do it? He said, what? I said, when do we go out and do it? He says, oh, you don't have to do it. You just have to believe it was done once. Now that's pathetic. Isn't it? I found out over the next year or two that we cried about it. We sang about it. We preached about it. We prayed over it. We gave to it. But we never did it. We never got to go do the things that Jesus did. And I grew disillusioned in the process. Now, you know, when I worked for the devil, he let me do his stuff. <laughs> Didn't he let you do his stuff? He let me do his stuff. But when I came to work for Jesus, they didn't want to let me do his stuff. And I, to tell you the truth, I joined up to do the stuff. Did you? You see, it's doing the stuff that's going to change the world. It's not knowing it was done once. It's not knowing that it's important. It's doing it that's going to change the world. Somewhere, someplace, somebody's got to start believing this book. And acting on it. And I figure it might as well be us. We're qualified. We can read and write, most of us. And we understand that it can be done. Awesome. Um, that's probably one of my favorite Wimber clips. And there's, there's similar classics out there as well. Um, I, I don't know about you, but when, whenever I, I first started to hear this stuff, it was like a, a fire uh, ignited within my heart. Um, I've personally had a, a, a very good experience, very positive experience of church, and I'm grateful for the Christian upbringing that I've had. But, <coughs> excuse me, if I'm honest, then I'd say that I've still been um, around enough rooms where we've talked about it, we've prayed about it, uh, we've cried about it, but we, we didn't do it. And it's not that those rooms are or any less important. Um, but if all we ever do as Christians is stay in those places, then we've misunderstood what our commissioning as disciples is all about. And throughout his ministry, uh, Jesus equipped and taught his followers to do what he did. It's a ministry that he replicated. He was constantly inviting others into it and then giving it away. And so we're going to start with a really simple question here, and that is, what did Jesus do? You heard Wimber talking all about doing the stuff that Jesus did. Well, what did Jesus do? And of course, the answer to that question uh, can be found in, in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and this morning, um, I'm really just going to give you a few keys, um, if you like, that will help us to understand our job description as followers of Jesus. And the first one is, and I had no idea, Rebecca had, had spoken to Jill and had asked her to share a story, so I had no idea that that's what Jill was, was going to share on, but um, you could have just given this part of the talk for me, Jill. Um, first thing is Jesus welcomed. Jesus welcomed. And uh, so the way, the way he went about this, of course, was 
he jumped on LinkedIn, didn't he? Because they had that back then. And he looked up to see who was the most important uh, players in, in Israel at that time. Uh, who, was, who were the chief executives and the, and the who's who's. And, you know, he was strategic that way, wasn't he? He picked out the people that had a lot of influence. And, and he started networking that way, didn't he? No, not really. Just, just, just the opposite, in fact. He didn't do any strategic networking. He wasn't trying to grow his, his own power base. He just reached out and extended a welcome to everyone, but especially to those on the margins of society. And, uh, do you know, it's, that's so countercultural, isn't it, to... to do what Jill did. Most people wouldn't bother because we're in the culture we live in. We're used to 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 make an effort where we get something back in return. But Jesus reached out and extended a welcome to those on the margins of society. And last week, Rebecca uh, talked about how important it is for us to remember the poor. Jesus loved to be with those who were poor. He loved to spend time with outsiders. He liked to be with prostitutes and drinkers and doubters and thieves. And they loved to be with him because in Jesus they found someone who looked beyond their flaws. He saw people made in the image of God. And one of the pop-up banners um, we put up here every Sunday, we meet together, I think it's the one that's just outside the door here, it says, you were made for greatness it's so simple, um, but yet it, it's, it's so true. Each one of us here was made in the image of God. Each one of us here was, was made for greatness. But yet sin can so often blind us to that reality. It can blind us to who we really are as children of God. And, it, and if we can't see who we are, then, then actually we can't see who God's made others to be. Do you know um, anybody work with anybody work with any challenging people, any difficult people? Yeah, Ian's like, yep, 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 yep. I'm on that train. <laughs> I'm sure all of us are. Yeah, um, I work with some really difficult people, um, and uh, I, to tell you the truth, I don't actually like some of them. <laughs> just just being just being honest with you. Um, but yet in the Gospels, I'm I'm confronted by someone who actually chose to hang around people that were probably very difficult. Why? Why? Well, he was able to see past some of the really ugly stuff. He was able to see past the difficult or sinful behaviors. He was able to see past the addictions. He could see past their flaws and right into the heart of who God created them to be. And he was able to do that because he knew who God created him to be. He was able to receive the perfect love of the Father and then give that away to others. And that's good news for all of us who are confronted on a daily basis by people that we just find difficult. That actually we too can receive from God and learn who he's made us to be. And in that process, we'll be able to see past the flaws in other people and see who God has made them to be. And uh, back in the springtime, 
Um, for those of you who, who were gathering with us on Sunday evenings at that time, you'll know that we talked a lot about how God sees us. We talked a lot about the truth of who we are as children of God. And, and that's really the starting position for entering into the mission of Jesus. It's really hard, it's impossible, I would say, to see the image of God in others if we can't see it in ourselves. And so as, as I spend time with, with Jesus in the mornings, uh, one of the things I'm asking him is, would you remind me of who I am today before I leave and I go out to work and I surround myself with other people? I ask him, what, what, what do you see when you look at me? Would you remind me? who I am. And then I'll ask him to give me eyes to see what he sees as I go about my day and work. Help me to have your perspective. Help me to see things as you see them, Jesus. And perhaps if I'm struggling a little bit with a particular relationship or a particular individual, I might say, God, would you show me what you see when you look at them? And as we step in to do the stuff that Jesus did, as we welcome, like Jesus welcomed, the starting place for all of that is to see things the way he sees them. In ourselves and in, in other people as well. And you know, we want to be a people that do what Jesus did, don't we? We don't want to just sit in a room and talk about it. We want to be a people of action. Do we? Yeah, yeah, good. We're still on the same page. That's great. Um, so what if this week we were to begin asking Jesus a couple of simple questions? First one, what do you see when you look at me? And do you know when we ask that question, just pause. Just invite him to speak. Just wait for him to reply. And maybe he might remind us of a verse we've read recently. Perhaps Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. It might be the lyrics of a song, I am who you say I am. We sang it earlier. I just really encourage you um, to ask the question and then allow God enough space for a two-way conversation. Because after all, that's what prayer actually is, isn't it? It's a conversation. And what happens in a conversation is we talk and we listen. It's a two-way thing. Second question. Uh, will you help me to see others through your eyes today? Lord, will you give me your heart for those who I meet? Will you help me to see what you see? And you know, doing, um, doing what Jesus did, it, it actually becomes pretty easy when we have God's heart for those around us. It's really hard to do what Jesus did when we don't see things like he sees them. But when we see what he sees in others, it's, it's easy. It's easy to, 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 to welcome others. It's easy to pray for others when we see what he sees. So that's a starting position, is to see what he sees in us and to see what he sees in other people. We do what Jesus did when what God is doing in us begins to overflow and spill out into the lives of others. And it's just 
as Jesus said, you really can't read that at all. Um, but trust me, it says the good person out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. If we're going to overflow, we need an inflow. And that's from Luke chapter 6, verse 45. And uh, if, you, if you find it, we talk a lot in this church about, about hearing from God. And uh, if you find it difficult to hear what God says about you, if you're struggling with that one, um, I just want to recommend a really helpful book, which you can buy on Amazon for about a tenner. Um, it's called Who I Am in Christ, as you can see. And it's by a guy called Neil Anderson. And in that book, there's 36 short sort of three, four page devotionals in there, which I, will think, I think you'll find just really helpful uh, if you want to know what God sees in you. And uh, yeah, kind of 10 minutes a day sort of thing. Um, so for some of us, the starting position is to, to realize that God truly loves us. that he welcomes us, that he delights in us, that he rejoices over us. And maybe for some of us, um, we've kind of um, heard a lot of talks maybe about mission and, and, and swinging into action and, and you know, being missional and being outward focused and all that sort of stuff. But truthfully, we might have actually felt the pressure to perform um, when, when we talk about all that stuff. And doing what, what I, 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 and that's probably because we, we haven't really understood just how much he loves us. There's no pressure when we know that we are loved. So that's the starting position for some of us. Uh, for others of us, you're ready to go. Um, perhaps God has already been bringing some people across your path that he wants, to, he wants you to create time for, that he wants you to welcome and, and to hang out with. And, you know, as, as we do this, can I just remind us, let's not treat people as projects. Let's not see this as a way to grow our church or fix people who appear broken to us. What if the only agenda we have is to demonstrate the love of Jesus to others without requiring anything back in return? And what I want to do is I've got some more stuff I want to talk to us about over the next 10 minutes or so. Um, but I just want to um, take a moment and, and pause um, before we move on and, and just invite the Lord to bring some people to mind for each one of us. So just where you are, just, um, let's just create a moment to wait for the Lord to speak to us. And you might just drop a name into your mind or uh, drop a picture of somebody into mind or... Um, or even after you leave here, it just might, he might just begin to speak to you then. So Lord, we, we, we want to be a people that are interruptible. Lord, we want to be a people who reach out to those around us. And Lord, I ask that in, in this moment, you'll, um, you'll highlight particular individuals. Lord, that you would just draw us towards in this next season. And even right now, Lord, do you just be um, starting to stir us.
I don't, I don't want to kind of move into like words of knowledge or anything like that because um, in, in terms of too much of that because I want I want everybody in here to to receive from the Lord and, and kind of those things that be kind of highlighted to you but I did get one thing that that I um, I just felt like the Lord was was saying uh, Laura I felt like there's somebody um, there's an Emma that the somebody called Emma that God wants to highlight or, or draw you towards so um, you can give me some feedback on that and at the end in terms of like is that a little rubbish or is that accurate or anything like that um, I'd love to know but that's just what I I, I felt for you um, okay back to that question again what did Jesus do he welcomed uh, we've talked we've talked about that a good bit um, what else did he do And I'm going to try and get a bit more participation here because I, too many people go to sleep whenever I speak and I don't like it. So I'm trying to get you to interact a bit more. Um, what else did he do? Yes, Alan, you're the man. You're still awake. <laughs> what did you say? He healed. Yes. Do you know what? You got, you got it straight away. I was waiting for a few other things before we got there. But yes, he healed. He healed the sick in every way imaginable. He brought sight back to the blind. He caused the deaf to hear again. He made people walk again, speak again, uh, feel again. And he brought spiritual healing too. To those oppressed by evil spirits, to those who were manic or depressed, he brought remarkable freedom, didn't he? And this is the stuff that John Wimber was putting a lot of emphasis on in that video we just watched. And Wimber, he came to church, um, I think in his late 30s as a new Christian, someone who, who had, had no church background, and, and he, he read the Gospels, but what he read in the Gospels just didn't match up with what he saw in the church. Why was that? Well, there's, there's a couple of reasons, I think, and, and this list isn't exhaustive. Um, firstly, um, a lot of people have believed incorrectly, in my opinion, that the works of Jesus and those who followed him are confined to the pages of the Bible and, and that somehow all that stuff stopped when the first generation of disciples passed away. That's a particular theological viewpoint. And then secondly, there's a whole bunch of other folk who believe that this stuff does still happen today, but our conclusion perhaps is that it's maybe limited for those who are ministers or leaders or those with theological training. Maybe it's for the super anointed, it's for the, the, the big names, the celebrity preachers, the Bill Johnsons, the Alan Scotts, all those kind of guys. It's for them. Uh, and we maybe effectively believe that only some people get to play. Only some people get to play. You see how well it's working for Man United whenever they're relying on Ronaldo just? <laughs> not too well, not too well. It's hard to get that in, didn't I? <laughs> it could still come good for them, though. Better not talk too soon. Uh, but most Christians, uh, I may probably fit more into that second camp where we maybe effectively believe um, that only some people get to play. We believe that this stuff still happens, but our experience tells us that it's only for the spiritually elite, for those who know how to say intelligent sounding prayers or quote scripture, those who live uh, super holy lives and, 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 and never sin, for those who are on the inside track. 
But the truth is, in God's family, everybody gets to play. And if, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, then there are no limitations for participation in his ministry. It's for all of us. For absolutely all of us, young and old, our education or our bank balance or our social standing have absolutely nothing to do with it. It's for those who still struggle with their temper, uh, those who are still battling anxiety, those who still struggle with lust, those who are ashamed of the things we've done or the things that other people have done to us. You don't need to be perfect. And of course, if we read our Bibles, we'll realize that. God used some pretty messed up people at times. Um, I want to I tell you a story about my uh, eldest son, um, Joshua. Um, I've certainly got some more recent stories, but this one, um, some of you have heard this before. This will hopefully help you understand that when it comes to the ministry of Jesus, everybody gets to play. About six or seven years ago, um, I was part of a team in, in Belfast City Vineyard, which is where we were planted out of. Um, and uh, I was part of a small team, that about four of us, we led a ministry there called Presence. And we've done it here as well on a, on a smaller scale. Um, and Presence was a training ground for learning how to do the stuff that John Wimber was talking about. And it was just, it was just lots and lots of fun. We just had a blast. Uh, God did some incredible things, and we just had fun practicing. And the team I led, um, we used to meet once a month on a, a Saturday afternoon. So we, we did it every Saturday, but we just had kind of four teams, four leaders that, that um, we all took a, a, a week each. Um, so so uh, we were doing this on a Saturday afternoon, and we would worship together. We would pray for each other in the center of Belfast. Belfast City Vineyard had a space there in the center of Belfast. Um, and uh, we, we would do all that stuff, um, praying for each other and worshiping together. And then we would go out onto the streets and we would do the stuff. We would pray for healing. We would, we would practice hearing from God for, for other people. And then we would approach them and, and, and tell them about it. Um, uh, you know, I, 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 my name's Ben. I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, I, this strange thing happened. I, I felt I got this picture for you um, from Jesus. We were a bunch of people, and we believe all that sort of stuff. We believe that Jesus speaks to us. So just really ordinary conversations with people on the street. Some of you have done that, and you know what I'm talking about. And a fancy word we, we, we use for that is prophecy, but actually as followers of Jesus, it doesn't need to be a fancy thing that just some of us do. All of us can learn to do that. All of us can learn to hear from God. And for those of us who were uh, around on, on those um, Zoom calls, I'm going to deviate for a moment, the, those of us who are around on those Zoom calls, uh, we had at the start of this year during the 2021 uh, lockdowns from January to April time of this year, didn't we do just that? We spent time at the end of those calls practicing how to hear God for one another. And, and what we found was that everyone gets to play. In fact, the best calls we had were the ones when everybody did play, weren't they? The best ones were when everybody did play. There was such a richness to those times together. Anyway, back to my story. It's a Saturday in Belfast six or seven years ago. And uh, often when it was my week to be on um, in, 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 in the month, um, I would, we would go down as a family to Belfast in, in the morning and we would spend time, we haven't done this for a good long time now, we would spend some time in St. George's Market 
um, and we would enjoy some of the fine food on offer. And this particular morning, I was trying to buy Joshua a smoothie. There was a little stall there that sold smoothies. Um, I was trying to, to make the purchase, and the guy who was selling the smoothies, uh, he couldn't hear me. Uh, and during our conversation, he says, you need to speak up because I, I'm deaf in this ear. Um, so as, as the smoothie, I was kind of thinking, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be going out to pray for people later. I could just pray for him now. <laughs> so as this smoothie transaction was drawn to a close, it felt like this burning inside of my chest to offer to pray for him. So um, I'd love to tell you that, um, and it might look like um, because I stand up here all the time and I do a lot of speaking and I talk about this sort of stuff that it's easy for me. It never is. There's always that sort of pounding inside my chest. I still get nervous, all that sort of stuff, sweaty hands, all the rest of it. But I've just learned how to push through that. So I said to him, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I, I believe he still heals today. And would it be okay if I prayed for your ear? And he said, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Go, go ahead. Um, I said, oh, okay then. Sometimes people say no. But it's surprising how many people say yes whenever we ask. So off I went. I prayed for his ear. But his ear, his ear didn't get any better uh, on this occasion. I have lots of stories where God healed instantly. Um, I've some where he didn't, um, and I've some where people did get healed, but it took a few times. And I want to say that I wasn't particularly discouraged at this point. Uh, Jesus has given us a biblical model for persisting in prayer. Um, you can check one example of that in Mark chapter 8, verses 23 to 25. Uh, Jesus had to pray twice for a man who was blind. So I reckon if Jesus gets two goes, we get, a, I don't know, at least five or six. Um, so I simply said, would, would, it, would it be okay if, if, I, if I prayed again? And at this point, there were other people who had come along and um, you know, the man was kind of noticing the big long queue. So, so he, he just kind of says, no, thank you, but no thank you on this occasion. And uh, so Joshua and I, we went on, and we went on our way. And um, Joshua and I were walking to the venue that we were, um, we were going to be meeting in and, and, and um, you know, Joshua's a thinker. And, you know, we're walking quietly, no, nothing, saying nothing for a while, five minutes. Daddy, what was that all about? <laughs> and I began to explain to him that um, once we've invited Jesus into our hearts, we're part of his family. And that means that we're, we're sons and daughters of the king, kind of like princes and princesses. We can rule with him. We've been given permission to heal people and do all the same things that Jesus did. And Joshua said, Daddy, does that mean that, that I can heal people too? I said, yeah, absolutely, Joshua. Yes, it does. So anyway, that was that. That was that conversation. I went on. I led the team in Belfast. Uh, and and uh, later on, um, Rebecca took the boys back home. Later on, whenever I got home, Rebecca said to me, well, you know what, Ben, you'll never guess what happened. I had hurt my knee. And um, whenever I was making dinner, I banged into something in the kitchen. I was in agony in the floor. And Joshua came rushing in and offered to pray for my knee. And when he prayed, the pain immediately left. And my knee was healed. Now, Joshua was four years old at the time. He didn't have a theology degree. He wasn't an ordained minister. He, he couldn't even read or write at that stage. Um, but what he did have was just this really very simple childlike understanding of the kingdom of God. He very quickly grasped from that conversation I had had with him. 
his identity as a child of God. And because of that, he had authority. He recognized that he had authority to do the same sorts of things that Jesus did. So he just was like, all right, I'll do it. I'll pray for your name on me. Now, for me, that kind of experience just blows this thing wide open. Everyone gets to play. We've seen our kids do it here in this church as well. Pray for things. Pray for people and they get healed. And it very rarely happens. In fact, it never seems to happen in these just kind of crazy moments where heaven opens and you know revival falls out of the sky. It happens in the ordinary awkward moments where somebody's like you know heart beating. All right, I'll I'll go for that. It happens as we as we cross that fear barrier. And I think actually we we talk sometimes of revival in this church and. Um, we, we, lots of us, we, we just have a desire to see God moving in an extraordinary way. But I think we'll see much more of God moving in an extraordinary way whenever we jump across the chicken line, so to speak. Whenever we say, yes, I'll go. I feel awkward. I'm sure, like, Jill, how hard was it to speak up there? You had to cross the chicken line, didn't you? Yeah, but you did it. So if, if Jill can do it, if I can do it, if we all can do it, if Mark can stand up here in front, of, in front of you and play his guitar, then all of us can, can cross the chicken, chicken line. And by the way, great job, Mark. Great job. Um, and thank you for, for getting involved. Where was I? You, you know, we, we watched this, we watched the wee video, um, and you'll notice that um, in that video, um, John Wimber kind of emphasized this part of the ministry of Jesus. And not, not because power ministry, if we want to call it power ministry, not because that's more, than, more important than hospitality or, or welcome, but because that particular aspect of the ministry of Jesus had become somewhat diminished in the church at that time. So he was calling out something that was particularly dormant. That's why he was emphasizing um, the kind of power ministry. But this part of the ministry of Jesus is not something just to read about. It's not something just to talk about. It's something we can all participate in. So um, welcoming and healing people were two of the things Jesus did. He welcomed and healed, but he didn't invite them to stay in their painful lives. He called them to change their ways. He called people to repent and follow him. And that's the wrong slide. There we go. Jesus invited people to repent and follow him. Another thing we say around here is come as you are, but don't stay as you are. If we're following Jesus, then those around us will see that there is hope available. There is a different way of life available. And again, um, not that I'm harking back to the glory days or anything like that. Certainly not, because, you know, um, the best is always yet to come when we're following Jesus. But back when uh, Rebecca and I first started attending Belfast City Vineyard over 10 years ago, um, at that time, um, I, I, I was just so hungry. Um, I'm still hungry now, but at that particular time, I was landing in an environment and I was like, I've got so much to learn here. I am so hungry. These people are on fire for Jesus and I want more. I want more. And I was pressing in for more of Jesus to know what he thought about me, to participate in his ministry. There's people going out to do healing on the streets. I'm there. I'm there. And I was just jumping in, 
hungry and teachable and I wanted to grow and I wanted to learn. And because of that posture that I had, uh, I, was, I was really being transformed on a daily basis. And I remember a particular season that, that I had in, invited some folk to pray with me about some stuff that I had been struggling with. And I, I kind of had a breakthrough, I kind of had a breakthrough moment where the reality of how much God loved me just began to permeate my heart in, in a whole new way. And it just it kind of just unlocked something in me. It just became a reality. It was a step into freedom. He changed something within me. And, and what's really interesting is that several months later, I was having coffee with a colleague. Um, it was a Sunday afternoon. I used to do this fault and emergency standby out fixing faults in the electricity network and um, and we were kind of had a lull in between jobs and and, and we were grabbing a, a coffee together and, uh, and I say colleague, he was actually my manager at the time and, and he said, Ben, I, I want to ask you about something. I've been watching you and something has clearly changed over this last while. I've noticed that you're much happier and more confident than whenever I first met you. So what's going on? I was a bit stunned by the question, but I began to answer him by telling him what Jesus had been doing in my life over the last while, and he wasn't a Christian. But my story, it had so much power in it, and, um, and it was an invitation into transformation. He just began to get interested. Tell me about that church you go to. Tell me about what it's like to follow Jesus. It's an invitation into transformation. And as Jesus welcomed and healed anyone, it was as if he was saying, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. There's more, there's transformation available. There's a different way to live available. When we hunger after him, we will be transformed and our lives will say to those around us. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Our lives, when we are being transformed, our lives will point to a greater hope. There is hope in Jesus. There is peace in Jesus. There is freedom in Jesus. And our lives will be the good news, an invitation into transformation. Finally, Jesus also commissioned. He released us to do what he did. All of this you can participate in. Everyone gets to play. And look, we could talk a lot more about that. We're, we're short on time, so um, we, we know this. Jesus commissioned. He sent others to do what he did. That's what we've been talking about today. Now, this value of, of, of everyone gets to play, it also shapes how we function as a church family. Um, and so you might have been in a church where everyone looks to the person who wears the pastor's hat. The pastor doesn't actually have a hat. It would be good to have a hat because it would cover off my bald head. Um, but um, sometimes you might have been in a church where everyone looks to the person that has the pastor's hat on every time there's a problem. But that's, the problem with that is that's not how God intended a church family to operate. And so in this community, we all get to participate in pastoring and caring for one another. And uh, theologians actually call this the priesthood of all believers. And First Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9 says this, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So we're a royal priesthood. 
we all have a responsibility. And you know, I'm, I'm not naive. Um, I know that um, actually some people prefer a different model, they've told me, um, right before they left our church. Um, some people prefer a different model where they prefer the pastor um, does run around after them. But let me say this, if, if we want to see God um, bringing transformation to this town we live in and the wider North Down area, if we want to see a great many lives transformed, it's going to take all of us playing our part. So, so that's, it's important for us to recognize that, that that's just something we, we do in this church. We all take responsibility for caring for one another. We're an army and everybody here has a part to play. And one of the ways that you can practice this is by, is by caring for one another. And you know, we, we saw this um, during the pandemic that some of you were just exceptionally good at looking out for other people. That I, must, I must ring such and such and see how they are. I must call around and um, drop something in. And some of us, we thought, why does nobody care about me? But we weren't actually caring for those around us. Um, so two very different ways of looking at it. And I would invite us all to actually take that responsibility. Even if we feel a lot of times, hey, nobody's made an effort with me. But you know one of, the, one of the things we can do is we can turn the opposite direction and start, start sowing into a culture where, ev- where everyone cares for each other and everyone plays. So if you ever feel that in this church... Um, Normally it's the lies of the enemy just whispering things because he's at it all the time. But if you ever feel like, hey, nobody cares, nobody's making an effort with me, do you know what to do? Just start showing it to other people. Start demonstrating it. And if enough of us do that, then we'll have a culture where we all do it. So that's what I would invite us into. And, and you know, some of you guys were, I don't want to be negative here because some of us were just incredible in the way that we cared and looked after each other. And what was just a really difficult time where many of us felt isolated. And that's just what the, the pandemic did. It isolated people from one another. It was really hard. But it was a good opportunity for us to practice. Everyone gets to play. Anyway, final thought from me. Let me leave you with this quote from one of the books we have at the back, from one of those values books. And this is going to be near impossible for you guys to read. In order for the church to be the dynamic, culture-changing, heart-shaping family Jesus intends for us to be, it must involve everyone from the littlest and the least. When part of the body is left behind, we quite simply can't carry the weight of all that God has for us. And so we must be catalytic in getting our whole church family into environments where God's presence is thick and where we are propelled outwards for when the powerful presence of God comes and revives it comes for a generation in its entirety young and old everyone gets to play